Okay, so chapter 15, you had the pivotal chapters of chapter 13 and 14 where the children of Israel said, we're not gonna go into the promised land. Um, the, the giants, they're there, they're too big, there's walled cities, we are like grasshoppers, there is no way that we are gonna walk into that land. Uh-uh, we're not going. And then the Lord said, okay, well you're gonna, for every day that you were in the land, you were there 40 uh, days, you're going to spend a year wandering in the wilderness until all of you that are of the adult age, all of you die, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they believed I could do it. And then they said, well, I mean, okay, then we'll go fight them. And the Lord's like, no, don't go fight them. I am not with you. They went in and they tried to fight anyway, and it ended up uh, being turned back. And that is where we pick up the story there in chapter 15. So now when I say we pick up the story, um, you know, we're, we're, we're like 40 years down the road here, okay? So we're, you know, he's getting them ready to go into the promised land now. Got a few events that we're going to see, but you know, pretty much we're, we're like right on the doorstep of, of, of this happening. Um, so we begin in chapter 15. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you, you and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering or in your appointed feasts to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. Then he who presents his offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine. As a drink offering, you shall prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for each lamb or for a ram. You shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hin of oil. So, We have read this already in Leviticus, but there's some supplemental ingredients that are now being added to these sacrifices, which is an interesting thing to consider as to why that was. But actually, before I even go there, let me just look at the language in in, um, verse two. It says, when you have come into the land, you are to inhabit. So we end on this kind of dark note, right? Um, You're gonna wander in the wilderness till every one of you who's an adult, dies. We'll go fight him now, Lord. Don't go fight him. I'm not with you. They go and fight, and they fail. And then in chapter 15, he says, when you come into the land. He, 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 we move from this moment of uh, discipline, chastisement, judgment, um, failure, and immediately we see the grace of God being spoken and saying, no, I'm, I'm still gonna take you into the land. I mean, you're, this generation's not, but your children are going to come. And so it's looking forward to this. And let me just read to you uh, this one quote from Glenn Martin. He says, God's purposes, though sometimes hindered by sin, are never thwarted. He promised the land of Canaan to Abraham, and if one generation of his descendants was too faithless to receive it, he would give it to the next. You leave that up there for a second. Now, I mean, there's incredible grace of God. He is sovereign and you can't stop what he is doing. But I don't want to be the faithless generation that watches it get handed off to the next. I wanna be the generation that goes in. I wanna be that one that inherits those things that God has determined for us to walk in and to experience 
not to overdo another brother or sister in any kind of competition way. It's just like, Lord, if you want that, then we want to please you and we want to walk into it. So although this dark moment um, comes on the scene for this generation who had seen so many amazing works of the Lord, and they're told they're not going to go in the promised land. God's not finished with them. He still has a plan that goes back to the promise of Abraham. And he is going to fulfill that promise. Now, as they come in, we read about back to this idea of the supplemental ingredients. They're included in these sacrifices. Um, so he begins to talk about the, the fine flour. He begins to talk about the oil and the wine. These things that are supposed to be a part of it. Now, as they wandered in the wilderness, those would have been very hard things for uh, nomads to acquire. But when they came into the land flowing with milk and honey, they were gonna have pasture land, they were gonna have vineyards, they were gonna have olive groves. So all of these things were now gonna be accessible to them. And so um, rather than it being a contradiction from Leviticus chapter three, it's rather, it was, uh, you can almost look at this and just seeing the kindness of the Lord. He, he knew they weren't gonna be able to get their hands on those things while they were out in, in the place that they were. So now that you've come into the land, I want you to do this. Now this, this is a, these were free will offerings we read. These were um, offerings they brought as a part of a vow. These are um, things that they could offer at the time of festivals. I love what it says, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. You could bring this in and, and give this to the Lord. And so he's giving them instructions about this, um, and this is how the, the Lord wants to receive all that we do. He wants us to be those that are freely worshiping him and following him. He wants us to be those that are, our lives are a sweet aroma. There's a fragrance of Christ in all that we say, in all that we do, and so this is a heart. This is the mind of the Lord. Now, as you move on down through this chapter, um, in verse 13, we read, and so he just continues to work through the different offerings and what they are to bring. But in verse 13, he says, all who are native born shall do these things in this manner. And presenting an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you or whoever's among you throughout your generations and will present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so he shall do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the strangers who dwells with you. An ordinance forever throughout all your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. So a couple of things here. Notice first of all, again, how God speaks so confidently of what he is going to fulfill in their life. Verse 13, all who are native born shall do these things. There's none that are native born yet. The Lord is anticipating them being in the land and that they're going to have children and that they're going to, of course, eventually, they're all gonna be native born there in the land. But this is that time of transition. But he says, so when you're native born, when you're no longer like this wandering generation and all of you have been born in the land generation after generation and there are strangers among you, Two things. Number one, they can make an offering. And number two, they've got to do it just like you. So it, it speaks of both access for all people to come to the Lord in worship in that prescribed manner. So it speaks of access, but it also speaks of purity, doesn't it? 
So the stranger can't say, well, that's not the way we do it where I'm from. Oh, sorry, you're, you're, you're from where we are now. And God of the universe has spoken and in his sovereign decree, he says, this is how you must come and how you must worship. So whatever your experience has been before, that must be set apart. So I th- there's two things that are happening there. One is it speaks of the access that all people had. So it wasn't that God had excluded the rest of mankind by choosing uh, the nation of Israel. They were to be a light to the nations, right? Now, this gets complicated in their history. There's no no doubt about that. And it's very clear as you read through the Gospels about the complication of foreigners and Gentiles and and, and much of the um, extra biblical writings and what they had to say about Gentiles. But this is a foreshadowing. It's looking forward to um, that gospel that's going to go out and call all people to be a part of salvation the day that Jews and Gentiles would stand before the Lord. Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So a little prefiguring here of the unity that was going to exist in a much great, to a much greater degree under the, the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Verse 17 And the Lord spoke again to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you come into the land. So, right, it's just, it's it's happening. It's good to hear somebody speak so confidently and not use a conditional, you know, if you come into the land, if I decide to bring you into the land. We'll say things like that to people just to give, put them on notice, right? Watch it, watch yourself. Watch what you're doing. I I haven't decided what I'm going to do with you yet. But the Lord doesn't speak like that. He says, when you've come in the land, you are going to come into this land. And he says there, when you've done this, speak to the children of Israel, say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering to the Lord, as a heave offering of the threshing. So just like you're lifting it up in worship so shall you offer it up. Of the first of your ground meal, you shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generation. So when harvest time comes and you make that, that, that first you know, set of bread from it, take one of those loaves of that bread and come and offer it up to the Lord. Two things. It was, an, it was thanksgiving and worship to the Lord for what they had received. But it was, an also, it was also meant to be a reminder that they are totally dependent upon the favor of the Lord in agriculture, right? The sun, the, the rain, um, you know, keeping pestilence away. They needed the favor of the Lord. And, you know, the Lord said he would do this if they obeyed. So it was to give thanks to the Lord. It was worship, but it also was a reminder. Everything I have. And this harvest has come from you. And I want, to re, I want to say thank you. And I want to just keep it clear in my own head that these things are for you. And you know, when we give to the Lord, um, even today when we give to the Lord, I think those two elements should be at work. It's thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for your privilege. That I have something to give. <laughs> thank you, Lord. And so I give to you. But it's not just there, it's also, it's remembering that the rest of what you 
are going to use to live on is also from the Lord, everything that you have. And it is good to remember that, that we have nothing if it was not from the kindness of the Lord. In Exodus 22 through 29, I'm not going to read those verses for you. These are things that we've discussed um, in quite a bit of detail within Leviticus. He's just going over them again. Um, And then we come to verse 30, and I do want to read this. But the person who does anything presumptuously. So 22 through 29, if you unintentionally, see, look at verse 22. If you sin unintentionally. So this is all about unintentional sins. But you get to verse 30, the contrast is, but, but the person who does anything presumptuously. The word presumptuously means with a high hand. The idea is like this, it's rebellion. It's, 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 it speaks of arrogance. It speaks of defiling. It speaks of rebellion. That's what this word uh, presumptuously is talking about. So it is um, setting your face against God and saying, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And you raise your hand and you rail against the Lord. So if you do that, whether he is native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord. So you're, this is what, I mean, it's, it's an, an affront to the Lord. And he shall be cut off from among his people. Because, why? Because he has despised the word of Yahweh and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. And then we get an example. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. What are you supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Rest. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. So God hadn't said, this is what you do and if, you, if somebody does this kind of high-handed rebellion. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. Now, I, I, I am certain there's somebody that's like, whoa, that is like, that seems like an overreach for the infraction here. Um, but what is significant is this is a high hand against God. This isn't a guy that's just like, oh no, my wife is sick and I've got to warm up my tent, okay? This is a high-handed rebellion against the Lord saying, I am going to do what I want to do and I don't care what you or anybody else in this camp thinks because when he went out there and did this, everybody would have been watching. And so the consequence was quite severe, So, outright, deliberate rebellion, um, there was no sacrifice for that. There's no sacrifice for this. Let me read to you this, this quote. It says, not all sins could be atoned for. However, the sacrificial system only covered unintentional or inadvertent sins. In one sense... Of course, many of these sins were not exactly unintentional. Sin is rarely completely devoid of intent. At some level, level we are in, invariably know 
that what we are doing is wrong. Yet there was a distinction made in the Old Testament between sins that were inadvertent and sins that were defiant. This is much like the difference we recognize between murder and manslaughter. So think about David. When he had committed sin and he had committed adultery, those were um, presumptuous sins. Those were high-handed sins. And Psalm 51, he does find mercy and he does find forgiveness, but does he find it in a sacrifice? Read Psalm 51 again. He says, you do not desire sacrifice. He couldn't come with the sacrifice. He said, but a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. So there was, uh, even in the law, there was this grace and mercy that the man after God's own heart found in his presumptuous sin. I don't know how you unpack all of that. I'm just telling you the facts. That's what happened. There is a parallel of sorts within the church today. And I don't want to make it to be the same, but I'm just going to say of sorts. You can find something similar to that. Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking. He's calling right now. Um, and he, he um, talks about what to do with a high-handed person. Doesn't he? Matthew 18, you can, you can look it up. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But he says if somebody is in, um, in open sin, go to them. And if they've offended you, go to them. If they won't listen to you, take one or two. If they won't listen to them, then go to the church. If they won't listen to the church, they won't listen to the rest, then remove them. Remove them from the gathering. And um, he even says that they should be treated like a pagan or like a tax collector. Not an easy thing to do, but it is something that happens from time to time. It's not very rare. I mean, it, it, I would say it's rare. Even like this you know, would have been like a rare thing because... It's a high hand. It's not just like you, a person. This is not falling into sin. This is not sin and then repenting of it. This is high-handed rebellion, and I am going to live and do what I want to do, and I don't care what anybody else says. And so even the church is told how to do this. And, um, of course, the leadership has to take you know, the lead on this, but even the entire church is, is told to participate by communicating to them that they are outside. They're outside of fellowship with the Lord. So these are difficult moments. These are hard moments, um, you know, with, within the church. Now, if there is repentance, then they are to immediately be brought back in. But I think that is one way in which you could see a similar type of, of response. But the, you know, in this case, going back to the man who had uh, violated the Sabbath, um, it was the entire congregation had to be a part of that discipline that was brought upon him. So um, be, you can be very, very glad that we are under the blood of Jesus Christ and, he, and his blood cleanses us from how many sins? All sins. And so um, it's a better covenant that we're under for sure. So as you move on, he then, I think, you know, you know, in context, verses 37 through 41, he gives them a practical reminder to keep the commandments of God. Not a bad idea after just watching the guy get stoned. Man, I need to really keep the mind of, uh, you know, the word of God 
in my mind and what he has for me. So what he tells them to do, he, then he again, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to take, to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And then you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not follow the harlotry of which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So that you remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. I have a, I, I have a right to speak to you. And I have a right to expect obedience from you. I am your God who delivered you with a strong hand. Obey my commandments. Put some tassels on your clothes so that you can remember. Put a blue thread in there. Now, we're not told why a blue thread um, in the biblical text. But there is, um, there's, there's no shortage of writing about what the blue thread is. I'll give you one Example, um, why a blue thread in particular? These, uh, the ancient rabbis explained it in the following way. Blue is the color of the sky, and this is the location of God's abode. This reminds the wearer of the garment then of God's abiding presence and awareness of events. So maybe that's what blue is for. I don't know. But this is what they you know, thought. You, I mean, you, you can't be definitive. But we should remember the commandments of the Lord. So I'm not advocating, this is a law, I'm not advocating for wearing tassels, but I am advocating for anything that can remind us of the commandments of the Lord and that we should be walking humbly with him and obeying him. So here's some familiar tassels for you. Fellowship. Fellowship is a great, a great way to be reminded of the commandments of the Lord. How's your week been? Great. Oh, it's been so great. I got to witness to this lady. I got to witness to this guy. Oh, it's been wonderful. I've been reading in, you know, uh, you know, whatever, Jonah, and the Lord was just showing me, you know, this thing, and oh, it's been great. You know, I'm going on a missions trip. And when you hear somebody talking about these different events in their life, their time with the Lord, their prayer with the Lord, their, what happens to you? What's the impact upon your life? You're provoked to do the same kind of thing. I can read Jonah. I'm gonna read Jonah tonight, and I'm gonna read the next minor prophet. You know, you're provoked. It's like, oh, you witness to somebody. I gotta start witnessing to people. And we become provoked by the righteous acts of other people around us. It's a good tassel. It's a good reminder. Prayer is a good reminder. Jesus said prayer would help us in the midst of temptation. Of course, reading the word of God. This is how it says in 1 John, the young men overcame um, the wicked one was a, by abiding in the word of God, meditating, thinking upon the word of the Lord and the Lord himself. Worship, is good. all these things are reminders. These are some, some good tassels to make certain they're always swishing about on your life, okay? That they're always present and reminding you of what the Lord your God wants from you. So getting them ready to go into land. Now chapter 16, we have some more rebellion. We've seen some rebellion already. Um, Miriam and Aaron questioned Moses. Now in chapter 16, we're gonna come to some more questioning of leadership. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, and the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. 
And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. This was a who's who of the wilderness generation coming to talk to Moses and Aaron. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. Who do you think you are that you get to do all this? For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So Moses heard it, he fell on his face and said, Lord, please, what's wrong with these people? And he spoke to Korah and all this company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him that one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near him. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all your company, 250, Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is a holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. It is a small thing uh, to you that the God of Israel has separated from you, uh, excuse me, from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle. So that's what, that's what um, uh, Korah was doing. They, they were sons of Levi's and they, they got to tend to the furniture of the most holy place. It says here now, it says too small of a thing that he separated you and the congregation of Israel. This is a job that he gave you. Verse 10, and that he's brought you near to himself and you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? You're not a descendant of Aaron. You're a Levite, so you get to attend to the the tabernacle, which is a privilege and an honor. But you are not a descendant of Aaron, so you're not a priest. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered uh, together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Byram, the sons of Elab, but they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, why is that? Because you guys are a bunch of scaredy cats. That's why. I mean, you were cowards. Not gonna, but they're not going to take accountability for their actions. They're victims, right? Nor given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Will you not come up? Are you going to pull the wool over our eyes? Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against him at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Everybody watches this happen. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them 
in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? It's kind of, kind of interesting. Here they are accusing them of taking too much upon themselves and they're petitioning for their lives. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him and he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away, <laughs> kind of slowly backed up like, well, okay. And you see everybody backing up. And these guys are standing there by themselves. Um, except we read they, they have, they're at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, their little children. And Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own will. I didn't take this on myself. And he says, here it is. This is how you know. If these men, these 250 men, die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. That's a pretty conclusive test, don't you think? There is a fleece of sorts. I mean, this is gonna be, you'll know definitively whether it's me or them. And so the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they all, so they and all those who uh, with them went down alive into the pit. This would have been like a terrifying thing to see and perish from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth also swallow us. And fire came down from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are, uh, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. So the ashes, the incense, take that out. The censers, though, take them, beat them into plates, cover the altar. So I think the Lord said who, for quite definitively, who his men were. It was Moses, and it was Aaron. And so these guys are consumed. Now, you would think that it would have stopped right there, but you would be wrong. Now, upon seeing this, you would think that, um, you would think that these guys would say, okay, you win, you're the people, we're, not, we're never gonna talk against you again. The Lord has vindicated um, your leadership um, with this convincing proof of swallowing them up. Um, but then we read at the end of this chapter that the people come against them again and they blame Moses and Aaron for opening up the earth. That, that, would, be, that would be a lot of power if they could do that, don't you think? And now you can just see Moses and Aaron, you can just see their head just drop and just shake their heads like, you've got to be kidding me. You think we opened the earth? You saw the miracle? You saw the fire go out and you think that this was us? And as a result, um, a plague breaks out upon these people. So verse 47, then Aaron 
then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who had died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. They come to them and they start to complain and God says, let me wipe them out. They petition them, they are not wiped out. God opens the earth and swallows up Korah and his family. The 250 are consumed with fire. Then the rest of the congregation comes to complain. And again, as the plague's being, uh, is breaking out, Moses, whom the accusation is coming against, sends Aaron in there to stand in the gap for them. This is a godly man. This is a guy that loves these people, and he knows his call to care for them, and so he stands in the gap, um, and, and I think it's a really good picture for us of how we need to stand with our, our um, censors, our prayer for those that are lost and praying that there would be an open door granted to us or to whoever to go and take the preaching of, of the gospel and, and that they would come and they would receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a, this is a tough generation and they don't, um, they, they don't get it. But this is a, and this is towards the end, right? I mean, after all of this. Now chapter 17, it continues in the same theme and um, this is the chapter where uh, Aaron's rod is going to blossom. So his staff, right, is going to blossom and it's going to actually have almonds on it. There's, it's going to be fruitful. So God is going to choose a fruitful man. So he, all this has gone on, you, you know, that, that's quite significant, but it doesn't stop there. So in this chapter, um, each of the tribes of Israel are called to bring their rods. So look at verse two, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house, all the leaders according to their father's houses, 12 rods, write the man's name on the rod. So everybody wrote their name on it. So these were taken, they were laid before the Lord. And then the next morning when they came, um, verse eight, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. That's pretty impressive. Then Moses brought all, out all the rods from before the Lord to the children of Israel and they looked and each man took his rod. I don't know if that felt embarrassing to take your rod. I think it was meant to feel a little embarrassing. I think it was meant to check them in their pride and their arrogance. So what did your rod do? Uh, nothing, nothing. Yeah, but I heard that Aaron's, yeah, yeah, I know all about Aaron's rod. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so this was meant to push them back on their heels. And so they brought Aaron's rod, verse 10, back for the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. So this happened. This ends up going into the, um, the Ark of the Covenant along with the jar of manna, the Ten Commandments. And so the Lord um, chooses who it is that is going to be this person that would serve as that high priest. In similar fashion, 
Today, in the days of Jesus, and all the way to this day, many people challenge the legitimacy of the faithful high priest, not Aaron, but Jesus, who came according to the order of? Oh, very good. You ought to be able to get that one, right? So he came according to the order of Melchizedek. And, he, and, and yet many people will look at him and say, who gives him the right to say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father or to heaven except through him? That's too narrow. I reject that. Well, interestingly, you can reject that. But you're going to suffer the same fate as the sons of Korah. The earth is going to swallow you up one day. And you're going to go down into the fiery pit where you will live for all of eternity. That's harsh. This story is harsh. But they rejected the appointed high priest in Aaron. If they suffered that, how much more for those who reject the high priest that sent from heaven to atone for the sins of the world? And although Aaron was a good man, he was no son of God. He was not divine. Of course, Jesus is that God-man that came down. So you may reject Jesus and bristle at his claim to be the only way, but understand the Lord looks at that as not prerogative, but as rebellion. Not prerogative. You, You have the prerogative to do that. You're given the free will to do that, but the Lord calls the exercise of that free will, your prerogative, rebellion and rejection against his son. And there is no forgiveness for rejecting Jesus Christ. Quite, quite a scene that happens there in chapter 16 and 17. And as you read them, they just seem like some rather um, amazing, miraculous, uh, um, you know, uh, severe chapters. But when you step back and you say, well, all right, where is Jesus in this? It's like, oh, okay. And now you begin to see that, um, you know, the heart of mankind is often repeated throughout history, and that is to reject God's provision. And Jesus is the provision. In the chapter 18, um, real quickly there, um, you have the duties of the priest and the Levites. Um, it's a point that we have seen and have gone through a couple of times already through the book of, of Leviticus and in Numbers as well. So I'm not going to uh, hit this again. But just to give you these two uh, passages as reminders. First uh, Peter 2, 4 through 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones, got the picture of the temple, are being, being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. So the Levites were the holy priesthood, but today you're the holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, which should cause every one of us to say, well, what is that sacrifice? What is that spiritual sacrifice? If I'm a priest, what is the spiritual sacrifice that I am to offer up? Well, if you keep on reading down at verses 9 and 10, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. One of the spiritual sacrifices that we are to do is to be worshiping and, 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 and giving him thanks and praise. 
And that's what you see the, the Levites doing as this worship of the Lord. And this is to be what is continually coming from our hearts and from our mouth. Uh, at the end, verses 25 through 32, the Levites are commanded to tithe from the tithe that they receive. Well, that just seems like some unnecessary paperwork, doesn't it? I mean, can't I just get a little bit less? So I want you to tithe on the tithe that you receive. Again, unnecessary. This is like an exchange of things. No, there, it, it's, it's not just an exchange of money. Something happens in your heart when you give to the Lord, right? Something happens in my heart when I give to the Lord. You know what it does? It cuts the strings of materialism. <laughs> it cuts those, the, that sense of independence. I've got it covered. And it reminds you that the Lord is worthy. It reminds you that he is deserving. So even the Levites gave a tithe on the tithe. Not a necessary paperwork, necessary heart work. And, and that is, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if I can, take some of your treasure and give it to the Lord. Your heart will follow. Invest in the kingdom of God and you will care about the kingdom of God. Chapter 19 is an interesting chapter. Um, it talks about what happens if you come in contact with dead people. Now, it's like, well, you called the funeral home. No, they didn't have a funeral home back then. They were the funeral home. Each family had to take care of these things on their own. Now, they just had nearly 15,000 people die, right? You had the 14,700, the 250 rebellious guys, and the family, of course. I mean, you had 15,000 people that had just died. That's a lot of dead bodies. You can't just, I mean, everybody had to get involved in that. Less disease would spread. So now what? We've all touched dead bodies. I mean, what do, we, what do we do now? And so chapter 19 is inserted here. We'll read just a couple of verses. It says, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him picture of the Lord being taken outside the camp, right? He was without defect. And the Eliezer, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his fingers and sprinkle it, some of, a, a, of its blood, seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal, uh, offal uh, shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, uh, burning the heifer, then the priest shall wash his clothes. He shall bathe in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And whoever, and the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water and bathe in water and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is unclean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification, it is for purifying from sin. And one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever. 
to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with water on the third day, and on the seventh day he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day, on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. And and the law goes on. Okay. So um, this is is something to do. There was to be another way in which they would be set apart and cleansed and all the rest. Um, If you... The red heifer makes it into discussion quite often um, in the news and among Christians as we, um, we think about what's going on. And so um, even recently, September uh, of uh, 2022, you can go to uh, JerusalemPost.com, JPost.com. You can look up red heifer. You should easily find the article. And so it talks about how um, there were five um, red heifers um, completely red, that they believe um, just under a year old, and they believe that these would be suitable um, animals to be sacrificed. And so there is a group of, of Jews that are excited about this or paying attention to this um, because they know that if they want to begin to ever worship in the temple again, they're going to need to have the ashes of the red heifer. And so you have this. It just so happens, um, here we are, um, in 2023, um, and so I, you know, that, that's from 2022, that article. Well, it just so happens that at the same time that I taught this before, there was another news article that had just broke in 2004 about, the ashes, about a red heifer that, be, that never became anything. No, nothing ever happened with it. And now here we are, and I don't know how many times since there's been talk about the red heifer. So, some will make of this that, hey, this is a sign that Jesus is about to return. Well, I just want to say this. The rapture is a signless event. We, we believe, not, not all Christians, but we believe that the Jesus is, and his return is imminent. It can happen at any moment. Um, it's different than the second coming. We believe it can happen, like we believe Jesus could come back now. So therefore, his return is imminent. It could happen at any moment, and there is no sign required for his return. So when people begin to say, and it's usually people that hold, interestingly enough, to a pre-trib view, as I just outlined, they will make a big deal and say, look, the ashes of red heifer, Jesus is about to return. Well, time out, time out. There's no signs for the return of the Lord. Um, Now, there are things that are that happen, events that happen, um, that we should only put in the interesting category. That's interesting. Ash is a red heifer. We see it. If there's going to be a temple rebuilt, is there going to be a temple rebuilt in the last days? Absolutely. You read about it in Daniel. You read about it. Through the, you know, Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. I mean, it's all over. There's going to be a temple. So that you would want a red heifer, it does tie into that, that scenario a little bit. But, but if you can put that, this, um, this statement up here, and I just, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit on some of these happenings. There are many news articles that are possibilities, but are not prophetic certainties. There are many happenings that are possibilities, um, but not prophetic uh, certainties. 
We must be careful to not elevate possibilities beyond the category of interesting. Many of these events will never be anything more than a news article. The negative impact is to dilute the truly prophetic so that nobody pays attention because we have incorrectly sounded the alarm so many times. So let's talk about possibilities and certainties. It is a certainty that there is going to be a rebuilt temple in Israel. It's a prophetic certainty. Um, this event of the red heifer, that's a possibility. And, and I realize, I, I'm, I know somebody's like, no, 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 it's, they really think it's it this time. Okay, but I, I can tell you, did you know that 20 years ago they thought that too? So does that make this like false teaching? It doesn't make a false teaching. Does it mean that this is not going to be connected and Jesus is about, it doesn't mean that either. I'm just saying, we gotta be careful because if you make a big deal over all of these possibilities, they begin to sound like we're saying that is a sure sign that Jesus is about to return now. And if you say that over and over and long enough, then people are gonna, when you say, oh, the Lord's about to return, they're like, yeah, whatever. You got some more, you know, red heifer again? Is that what you have? And now there becomes this cynical attitude towards a real hope that we should have looking for Jesus. Do you follow me on that? Here's another certainty. There's gonna be um, a mark of the beast. And the Antichrist is going to control commerce with this mark of this beast. That is a certainty. You know what a possibility is? It may be a microchip. But you don't know that. You can't, the Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say it will be a microchip. Is it possible that there could be technology that could be implanted in a you know, right hand or in the forehead that would contain all kinds of financial data and it can't be lost, can't be stolen, it could be uploaded to and downloaded from and you scan your hand and you pay for things. It could also be GPS. Yeah, that, that, is, that is really possible. But that is not a certainty. Do you see the difference? So I, I am pre. I know I, I can just hear some people going like he doesn't believe in the return of the Lord. You know, I do believe in the return of the Lord. But I want to emphasize the, the those things which are prophetic. Like I'll give you one that has happened. Israel's back in their land. That is significant. There's a prophecy that said they would be brought back in in their latter days. Make a big deal about that. The ashes, or the red heifer, I'm not saying don't think about it. I'm not saying it's not significant. I'm just saying it's interesting. And you don't know if it's going to be significant. And I don't know if it's going to be significant. I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying those that even talk about it are bad. But I, I just want us to not become cynical about the return of the Lord by making a big deal about a bunch of possibilities. And I think there's a lot of people that have. And so I am fiercely pre-trib and pre-mill, and this is, I believe, a necessary rebuke within our own camp for making things out to be a bigger deal than we really know that they are. And so, um, interesting, don't ignore it, don't despise it, just be measured with it. 
and, and understand that the return of the Lord is a signless event. So anyway, it's, you, you go read the article on Jerusalem Post. There's some, there's some uh, that are really, really excited about this over in Israel, okay? So um, yeah, anything that relates to the temple coming back to, to uh, Israel, I think is something for us to be aware of. And so, but I'm not saying that this is the definitive sign that the Lord is about to return. So just learning to measure ourselves when we come up against this. I'm sure you've never, well some of you have, but I imagine you didn't think we were gonna talk about that when we started reading the Red Heifer passage, did we? You're like, why is he spending so much time on that? Well, okay, I wanted you to see the significance of it um, and why people would make a big deal of it today, but hopefully we can measure ourselves just a little bit. Well, I'm going to end there. Um, I could get into this next section, but I mean, um, we're, what we're going to see in chapter 20 is more death, more rebellion. Miriam dies, Aaron dies. The big sin of uh, Moses and Aaron is going to happen, and I don't want to rush through that. I want to take some time to ponder that a little bit. So we'll go ahead and stop here. So as we close, though, we are those that are of the priesthood today. And even as the, is, the, the Levites were set apart, they were actually, a, as you, if you read in that chapter, it says they were a gift to the nation of Israel. The Levites were. To minister to them. And they were to be zealous for the things of the Lord. And, and if they were to be zealous for the things of the Lord, how much more we who've been redeemed by Jesus ought to be zealous for the ministry the priesthood that he has placed within our hands. And so be zealous for those things. Rejoice in the knowledge that Jesus is our high priest. Celebrate it. Um, if you are one that is like, well, I just, I, I, I can't accept the fact that he is the only one. Well, you're not the first to question the authority that heaven has placed upon a man. You can question a lot of people, but I tell you the one person you do not want to question is to question the atoning work of Jesus Christ because if you reject that, you reject the possibility of eternal life. Make certain that those tassels are swinging about on your clothes. No, not the real ones, but the fellowship. Make sure there's a constant reading of the word. Make sure prayer is happening. Make sure the worship is going on. And you have these reminders in your life that you've been redeemed by God and that he is holy and he fully expects you and me to live in holy lives. How good it is to know that Jesus has come and as he hung and died upon the cross that he is able to forgive not just the unintentional sins but even those sins that are intentional. Repentance necessary for both. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. So much to learn from, Lord. I pray that we can um, look up and see that your return is nearer than when we first believed. Lord, we are further down the road. Your return is closer. And Lord, we want to be looking up. We want to be those that are hastening. We want to be living like you're standing at the door. All these uh, prophetic passages that tell us how to, to live our life that you're coming back. 
So Lord, may we be a people that's watching and waiting and that when you appear, we will not be found carousing and being ashamed, Lord, at your appearing, but we will we'll be rejoicing in that day. So Lord, speak to our hearts. Um, and again, we thank you for the finished work. And um, we in no way challenge, Lord, your authority as high priest. We celebrate it. We are thankful that we understand it and we know it and that unlike many in the world who reject you, Lord, here we are gathered in the midweek to just celebrate you and hear from you. Be honored and glorified in our midst, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.